Father God, again, we are just humbled, sometimes so much that we're on our knees, and that's a good thing, to recognize our total dependence upon you as our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer, our encourager, our comforter, uh, our empowerer, uh, that all good things come from you in this life. And you've blessed us in so many ways in marriage and children, in a great abundance uh, often, uh, sometimes in great lack, but uh, your presence was known and uh, your love was something we always knew well and shared and testified to others. So, Father, uh, thank you so much for gathering us today. And, Father, we were uh, in great sorrow and yet know and always have known for so long now, ever since our salvation, really, that that you are the one that knows the number of our days. And uh, nothing can change that. Father, I do pray that uh, though the times are very dark and darkening, or so it appears to us, we know that your work continues and that we're right in the center of that and that we're an instrument for you. So I pray, Father, that we would have the truth of the scriptures, that we would not ourselves be compromised by the the order of the day and by its the culture such as it is around us by unbelief uh, demonstrated in the grossest of ways, by persecution that we know always uh, has been promised even to us. And uh, Father, I pray that we would be bold to speak your truth, your word, that we would not be compromised and that you would show us uh, the way. May the opportunities be clear. May the doors be opened into hearts and minds. And uh, may we seek always by prayer to enter in boldly with kindness, with love and grace. Many may have no one to hear the truth from except us as you ordain it. And so, Father, we look forward to those opportunities. Father, I pray that these difficult times our nation is going through might be used by you to open the hearts of many. And we know that you do use circumstances for that. You used even ungodly rulers that rule these nations of the world. And we know, Father, that no one can stand against your will. Your will will be accomplished. And so, Father, I'm so thankful that you intersected with our lives and you continue to do so uh, day by day. And so we thank you so much for that, Father, and I pray that you'd soften our hearts and open your word this morning to this teaching set before us. And may it be a blessing. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, all, all those needs are just a few. There are so many yet unspoken. Last time... The plan was interrupted by the Lord, and so we were not here as we had thought we would be, and uh, you were not together with us as we had expected. But here we are this morning, and I pray and hope that this truth, which now has been settling 
in my heart another week, um, which is pr- always a good thing. I pray that it would be a special blessing to us as we consider what's been written here. Uh, and uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians is a very s- special one indeed for me, has been for so long, and I hope it is for you too. In many ways, it's one of the most relevant of Paul's letters to consider today as we face many of the same challenges that were faced there uh, in Colossae. And Paul writes to consider them specifically. But it's not without its challenges. Because as we read these words, we see things that we don't understand or think we don't and wonder how this letter could be so relevant to our current day. After all, it's written 1900 and some years ago and written to a, an assembly in Asia Minor that was uh, a Roman uh, colony and one that was just in so many ways, uh, like many of them were, overwhelmed with all of the evils of the Greek religious system. And uh, the idolatries were were just uh, astoundingly evident uh, in daily life. The cities were overwhelmed with temples. Those temples were filled with with uh, priests and and temple prostitutes. Uh, uh, immorality <clears throat> was being uh, highlighted. It was being extolled as a wonderful thing, and uh, it it was just an, an awfully dark place, spiritually speaking. And yet the light of the gospel had come there uh, and uh, had made a difference and had transformed the lives of many. But then there were false teachers that had come to town and had uh, led some astray with a strange kind of teaching, which we today call Gnostic, uh, after the Greek word for knowledge, uh, gnosis, because they claimed to have special knowledge, and that special knowledge would enable a finite creature, a human being, finite in every way, and the Greeks knew that. Their philosophers mostly knew that. Um, and it would enable a, a, a creature such as ourselves to somehow reach to heaven, even though God himself was perfect and couldn't be directly reached by man, but only through intermediaries. And so that's what Paul is writing about here. The false teachers had come to town, and we'll say more about that shortly. And the consequence was so great, Paul, when he heard about it and how many had turned aside from the teachings that had been provided them there, he was cut to the quick, you might say, in his heart and felt this letter must be written, even though the letter is in many ways 
for some, something that would be seen to be quite offensive, unless the Lord God opened the hearts, indeed. So, last time we looked at uh, our identification with Christ and how important it is. And Paul writes about it um, in chapter 2 in a very special way. He also writes about it in Romans chapter 6, chapter 8, uh, Romans and Ephesians and elsewhere. But uh, this is one of the main letters that describes in great detail who Christ is and who we are in him. So this is all about how God sees us. And I think that that's the important thing. It's not about how we see God, except indirectly. Uh, how we see God is supposed to be based upon how God sees us and his revelation of that to us. It's not an issue of our experience initially. Uh, it's not that we somehow know about God through signs, wonders, and miracles, and therefore that's all we need to know, and some have more knowledge than others because they've received more signs, wonders, or miracles than we. No, that's actually part of the false system of satanic religion. <clears throat> um, but uh, the issue is, what has God revealed about how he sees us? And how he sees us is totally dependent Paul writes about how he sees his son. Remember, the Lord Jesus was sent forth to become the perfect substitute for us, to pay the, the full price for our sins in every possible way. This is something that's denied by the religious systems of the world on every side, even those that call themselves Christians. They still believe that we are not seen as perfect in Christ Jesus, but rather as sinners still needing repentance and forgiveness. So the issue is twofold. One is how great is Christ? In other words, what has he accomplished? Has he accomplished the full purpose of God in the incarnation and in his redemptive work or not? And then secondly, to what extent uh, has that affected us in God's sight, in God's sight? That's why I keep saying, some of you keep looking down from the heavenlies, from how God sees it, okay? And consider what God, the Lord God, is doing, and not what we're doing as much as what he is doing. It changes everything about our perspective in our life. Okay, so... Uh, to start with today, I want to do a quick review, if there's any ever any such thing as a quick review. But anyway, Elizabeth, would you please read for us in Colossians? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Colossians 2, chapter, uh, verses 9 through 12. Elizabeth? For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom ye are, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him, 
through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Elizabeth. Okay, so there, there's the statement of how great Christ is today. In other words, he has fulfilled the plan of God in redemption. He has offered up himself willingly. He has sacrificed himself. He has fully took, taken upon himself all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness, and he's paid the full penalty for that. And therefore, his righteousness is available to us and has been, in fact, provided. Um, so, um, Paul writes about that in these words. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Not just a piece of it or part of it. All of it. Uh, and you are complete in him. Made fullness. So, in him dwelleth all the fullness and you are made fullness in him. Which is the head of every, of every other power. And there are many powers in the heavenlies. There are four or more uh, degrees or, or let's say, positions uh, of power in the heavenlies. These are fallen angels and, and, and righteous ones. There are principalities, powers, mights, and dominions. And there are also archangels above them all. There are seraphim as well as angels. There are cherubim as well as angels. There are many spirit beings. Some are fallen. Some are under Satan's power. But Christ in his resurrection and his ascension, Paul says, is above them all. In other words, they are not above him, <laughs> but he is above them. And therefore, we have no need of them at all, since we are in God's sight, in seen to be in his son, in Christ Jesus. And this affects practical matters as well, because the Jewish uh, uh, religious system was very much focused on Moses' law in some way or other, but they had uh, changed the law to make it more livable and added much to it. And uh, the Lord himself said when they did that, they canceled out the law. <clears throat> you can't add to the law without canceling it. It doesn't make it a better thing any, uh, to, to add to it. It short circuits the law and its power. That's what the Lord said concerning the Pharisees. So these Jews had though, continued their practices with some modifications of circumcision and baptism, which is the washing. There were many washings that they had. And so what Paul says here is that we have been circumcised and we have been baptized. He's not talking about the flesh. He's not talking about a work of the flesh. He's not talking about a religious work. He's not talking about the spiritual meaning of a religious work that some, but not all, have undergone. And he's talking here about God's work in transforming our relationship to him. So we have been circumcised with what? With the circumcision made without hands, right? in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Christ was circumcised twice, once 
eight, eight days old just after birth and once in death. That's when he put off the flesh once and for all, right? With all of the sins that we had uh, uh, brought to bear on him. Okay, so he says we are circumcised and baptized. In other words, we've been identified with Christ in his death. And then, not only that, that would be only half of it. That would be a, a, a strange uh, circumstance to be in if you were still just dead <laughs> in Christ. Well, Christ himself was not only dead. He then was raised again. So buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Okay, so if the baptism here is water, then that baptism saves, absolutely saves and would be required for salvation. As um, the largest group that claims to be Christian uh, demands, right? But this isn't baptism according to the flesh, but the baptism uh, into Christ uh, of the spirit, right? And we were placed there through the faith of the operation of God when we believed the gospel. Okay, so that's the teaching here. It's all about identification. Romans chapter 6 gives the details uh, even more than found here. And I'll quickly read this just because uh, here we find the word reckon used. Romans 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. In other words, be bound by sin as a bond slave. For he that is dead is freed from sin, is is declared righteous. It would be a more literal uh, translation from sin. Uh, Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. So from now on, uh, from that point on, when Christ is raised from the dead, he no longer had to have a relationship with death since uh, that had been taken care of. Death had been replaced by life and life eternal. And he'd come into the world with death uh, nearby and just ahead, right? But no longer. Uh, Now it's life and life eternal and all those that have been drawn into his life shall be uh, blessed with eternal life in the fullest sense in that day, right? And then verse 10, in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in the liveth, he liveth unto God. And so he's our ultimate example. We're to be like him and our reference not to death, but to life. Okay. Likewise. And so he says, we must reckon upon it. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the reckoning that counts is what makes the difference in life. That's what the apostle writes. And yet this is not taught in the churches. 
I've been in a great number of them and nearly never heard this taught there. Such a sad commentary it is. What Paul writes in Romans 6 is that we must know how God sees his son and us, first of all. Secondly, we must reckon upon it by faith, taking it to be reality, taking God at his word. That's the second part. So knowing you must know, then you, you would reckon. And then you may yield yourselves as alive unto God. And that's what Romans 6 says. And yet, without the knowledge, so many substituted religious practices, thinking that somehow that's going to bring them closer to God. It's really just a, the same thing that was being taught to the Colossians by false teachers, <laughs> the Gnostic teachers, right? The Judaizers who had mixed uh, the faith of Scripture with uh, Greek Greek. Uh, uh, philosophy and mythology and uh, came up with a religious system. And Paul's writing so strongly and directly against that system here. Okay, so really it has to do with how, how high Christ is and what is our view of him. That's at the source of our problem if we do not see that all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in him, and then we are made fullness in him. How can you reckon upon it if you don't know about it? How can it make a difference in your life day by day when sin still dwells within us and still seems to overwhelm us, right? Unless we know what God has revealed, which is a knowledge of what he has already accomplished, and then... Uh, we need to reckon upon it. So the false teachers had promoted what today we would call a new age religion, a new kind of uh, Judaism. <laughs> they would would have called it Christianity, a new kind of Christianity. And aren't there many today who write books like the new kind of Christian, the new kind of church? You know, uh, they are false teachers and very, very dangerous indeed. And yet the bookstores are full of this trash. Call it trash, lest I use a stronger word. The Jewish religion has been similarly <laughs> corrupted. In fact, uh, that's uh, to be expected, is it not? I mean, after all, uh, it were was uh, Jews who were the false teachers who'd come into the uh, Christian assemblies, right, such as in Colossae. There is a corruption of Judaism called Kabbalah that's at the center of all of this. And it is a mixture of uh, first century Judaism with uh, Greek uh, philosophy. And uh, it goes on today. It only keeps evolving. And it is extremely dangerous to many. Many are captured by it. And it's come into the churches, uh, the, the Protestant churches as well. Certainly it's been in the other ch branches of the so-called church uh, for centuries, right? Millennia. <clears throat> but also now very much in the Protestant churches. So the basic idea is man is too imperfect to come to God, needs intermediaries, 
and and that may be a priesthood uh, that has special powers and uh, can enable you to uh, reach higher levels of perfection. It may be um, special teachers who have greater knowledge and they can help you to uh, gain that same knowledge and thereby be, quote, closer to God. But of course, you can never get close enough ever learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. In other words, as Paul writes of it in another place, right? So that teaching is that these intermediaries in this world are being managed by spiritual powers in the heavenlies that give them the great knowledge and power that they otherwise couldn't have. That's really uh, what what they believe, okay? And uh, I mentioned last time a, a cult uh, called, um, I can't remember, what is it called? Um, well, it's Swedenborgian, but I, it's called the New Church. And uh, that is a cult based upon this very, very thing. So, of course, there's also Mormonism and, and uh, Christian science and and many other uh, Gnostic religious systems that call themselves Christian, even. So in that kind of a system, it's assumed that submission is the key. Submission is the key to uh, advancing in one's relationship with God and that religious means uh, are not only appropriate, they're necessary for anyone to ever uh, be truly acceptable to God if somehow that were possible. Of course, those systems always have uh, something after death to complete the process, since in this life there would be no way uh, to actually ascend into the heavenlies, even through such a system as that. So that's enough. Um, there are practical consequences. Uh, if, if our circumcision and baptism are spiritual, then what is the value of such religious practices here? And Paul actually writes more strongly about that in uh, the last part of Colossians 2, uh, as he does anywhere else. He says, actually, the, the requirement for these physical uh, rites and uh, practices was actually nailed to the cross. That's in verse 14. And therefore, they were blotted out once and for all. <clears throat> and uh, and so the fallen angelic system, Satan and his emissaries promoting such a thing, uh, they have been defeated. <laughs> OK, uh, that whole system, he says, is gone, taken away. Uh, once and for all. And then, uh, Linda, I'd like you to read for us uh, verses 16 through 19, where Paul very strongly uh, writes more about that. Linda, would you read that for us, please? Let no man, therefore, judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a, of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility, 
and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, barely puffed up by fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body joints and bands, having nourishment ministered, and knit together, increases with the increase of God. Thank you, Linda. So once we have the, uh, the the risen Christ and his body, of which we remember, these other things have passed away. You see, they no longer have relevance. In fact, they stand in the way of true worship, according to verse 19. So those who are caught up in those things are puffed up by their fleshly minds and not holding fast the head, who is the only source today of spiritual uh, life, health, and growth. Okay, so that's actually um, the first point that I want to make today, is uh, that the dangers to our faith are often subtle, but they're real and powerful. The dangers are real and powerful. Beware, beware. So Paul writes very strongly, beware of the false teachers. Okay, Paul is giving the truth for today. Beware of the others who do go back to the Bible, and they do promote the Bible in certain ways, but what they do is, in fact, place those that will receive their message in spiritual bondage under a religious system which is derived ultimately from uh, false teachers way back uh, in time and just keeps getting uh, modified increasingly in a subtle satanic way to make it even more uh, powerful in our own day. So the dangers are subtle, real, and powerful. Beware. That's the strongest word Paul could could use. Now, the next point is that our defense against these threats is sure, but we must know what the defense is. Now, we spend much time looking at spiritual warfare where we learned, I, I hope, that uh, the, the defensive tools that God has provided one of which includes the uh, the word itself, right? <clears throat> and uh, that that must be well known and, and must be uh, put on, as it were, must be used. And if we do not do that, we cannot be victorious in battle. So really, what Paul is writing about in Colossians is spiritual battle. And what he's saying is uh, this warfare cannot be won. We will fall due to Satan's uh, methods and lies um, if we do not know the truth first of all and then we do not actually use it effectively so we have to put on the the defensive part of our armament okay so um, that's what paul is writing about here he says we do have a, a defense against these threats by the new age we can call them that if we want. They're old, but the new age is always new to those that uh, are part of it. Uh, we have a, a sure defense, but we must know what that defense is. And uh, that's uh, uh, what we read about here as we continue along. Um, it has nothing to do with... <clears throat> law 
but only grace. <laughs> and I'd like Lydia to read about that in Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Lydia? Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as the living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, hand, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after commandments are doctrines of men, which things have indeed a shoe of wisdom in worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you very much. <clears throat> So the various religious systems will give us a rule book, uh, a covenant book, and everything will be judged based upon that. Uh, no place left for true spirituality since nobody can live up to the rule book. And in fact, the rule book only encourages the flesh. Remember, we saw how Paul taught that so clearly in Romans chapter 7, right? Uh, therefore, those that place themselves under the demands of the rule book, of the law, um, they are, in fact, <laughs> uh, cutting themselves off from the work of the Spirit in so doing. Why? Because that's not how God is working today, right? He's working differently. He's working today on the basis of the completed work of Christ, which lifts us out of this world system and gives us a life that's above and beyond it, and far different from it. And so uh, the verses that Lydia read are all about that. He says, "You." so really he's chastising them very greatly. And he says, why do you keep subjecting yourselves to this stuff? Now, that doesn't mean that Christians who are spiritual are not moral. It's just that the true morality comes from a different place. It has a different source, right? Uh, it has to do with uh, the spirit dwelling within us and the life of Christ dwelling within us, not from a carnal nature, uh, religiously living up to a certain standard. Oh, my. Legalism is a very dangerous thing indeed. So that that is uh, what we read of there. And those are very important verses, are they not? And uh, so. The, the point of it all is that we we have a defense. And uh, Patty, I'd like you to read about that defense and how it's very practically related to our living today. Uh, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Thank you. There's so much truth there. Uh, we can dwell there every day and be greatly benefited greatly benefited by it, by that truth. If or since, since you're risen with Christ, where are you now? 
as God sees you, where are you? At his right hand. Wow, does that change your perspective on things down here on this earth, right? So he says, uh, let your affections be filled with this. Remember how he wrote in Philippians about that. Let your mind to be uh, as Christ was, right? And fill your mind with heavenly things. If you don't, you'll already be trapped by Satan's lies and uh, your flesh will be very actively seeking some religious <laughs> means of escape, right? <clears throat> Not finding it, of course. So this is all about positional truth, where we are as God sees us, not conditional, how we see ourselves still with the sin nature, still suffering the consequence of sin in health issues and uh, and many other uh, kinds of trials in this life, right? So what Paul is saying is that we need to seriously count the cost, but take the great risk. It'll seem like a risk, maybe. But I think when Spirit of God's working in us, it doesn't seem like a risk at all to just abandon all of that and rely only on the Lord himself, not on the religions of this world, even when they call themselves Christian. Okay? It'll take a great risk on our part because the world system itself is aligned against us, and that'll be clear. And our own nature also always seeks to improve, do a little bit better than last time, to live up to God's standards somehow. And so our old nature will be crying out, oh, that's just license. You know, you still need to keep the law, right? Well, that's what they all say, but it's not true, of course. The law has already been kept. By whom? By Christ Jesus. It's been fulfilled. So it's reckoning upon all of that truth that makes the difference. It's that reckoning that counts. Now, Paul, in the next section, uses the word mortify regarding this. And I'd like Tom to read those verses, verses 5 through 7 in chapter 3. Tom? Mortify, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscences, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. Thank you, Tom. So, Paul's making a great black and white distinction between unbelievers and believers here. He says the wrath of God is coming. It's nearby. It's coming upon the children of disobedience, and uh, God will judge, right? And he's saying, you believers, you used to live entirely in this realm. That was your life until the Lord God intersected with you and took you out of that realm once and for all and placed you in Christ Jesus, right? So now we're in a different circumstance altogether where we can actually reckon upon this truth and be looking down on this life. And he, he calls this process here, which he, as you saw in Romans 6, 11, it was called reckoning. Here he calls it mortifying, <clears throat> okay? It means to render it as dead because in God's eyes, 
it, its power has been destroyed. Okay, so may it be true for you too. And if you don't reckon it to be dead, you will still suffer the consequence of its evil desires. Okay, so he says, mortify your members which are on the earth. And then he talks about what your members are going to produce otherwise, right? Fornication, uncleanness, and so forth. He makes a short list there. It could be much longer. One of them that is a real troublemaker indeed is idolatry. And he he mentions that in connection with covetousness, and we all know what that's like, don't we? It's always there waiting to show itself, right? Wanting more of what seems to be good. And that's where we are challenged every day, no doubt. But he says there is a way of victory. And so it is through mortifying. Okay. And uh, so I want to close today just by, again, reading, because Paul says it in Romans 6 in such a way that I I think – is easily remembered and can easily be taken to heart, where he uses that word reckon. He says, knowing that, this is Romans 6, 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. So there's no more death ahead for Christ. It's already happened. It's finished. Death has no more dominion. There's no fear of death. There's no concern. There's no anxiety. Remember how in the garden Christ in his humanity was crying out to God. You know, he was thinking of what was yet ahead. It was death, and not not just physical. The physical death, I think, wasn't mainly what was on his mind, or the trial of that, uh, but it was the spiritual death. It was the separation from God uh, that was challenging him greatly in his spirit, right? That's all past. There's no more of that, right? And so we also, if we know this truth, have no fear of death. And when we do, it's because we're not reckoning upon this truth here. So he says, in that he died, he died unto sin once. Reference to sin, that's why he died. It was in reference to sin. Not his, ours, right? But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. You could say in that he liveth, he liveth unto God, meaning in reference to us, okay? So Christ's life now is for us. It is the one of the greatest gifts. And Paul writes about that, does he not? Part of the mystery, part of the sacred secret, Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? He lives within us. And uh, praise God for that. And so then in Romans 6, he says, likewise reckon ye also. So, Likewise, okay, so once you see how God sees it and how Christ sees the current situation in reference to us, then we're supposed to take that by faith for our own benefit, okay? Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then... The exhortation, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it, 
neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, right? For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. You see, God has provided the defense and then the offense to live victoriously, even over the power of the flesh, and certainly over the lies of Satan, right? Well, that brings us to where I wanted to get today. Next time we look at the rest of the verses here, where Paul draws the analogy with clothing. Why is clothing worn? It is worn to cover up something, right? Something that needs to be covered. Okay? And it's appropriate to cover it, and so we put on clothing. But you have to take off other clothing in order to put this on, or you end up with uh, a real mess. So uh, it becomes uh, necessary to go through that process in daily life so often, does it not, right? Because of the nature of living in this world. We need to take off that clothing and put on fresh clothing. And that's a wonderful analogy, and that's the analogy Paul uses in the next verses for how we need to put off the one kind of clothing so that we might put on the other. It's the same teaching as before, with the no wreck and yield, and uh, yet he uses now this wonderful analogy to to uh, inscribe that teaching in our hearts once and for all. And so we think in spiritual warfare of taking off the one and putting on the other. Uh, the two must go together. And if you do not know what you need to take off before you can put on uh, the other, then you're in real trouble. We have to have the knowledge first, of how God sees us in Christ Jesus as righteous, not with blemishes, but perfect righteousness, even Christ's own. Praise God. We've been set free. Amen. Enjoy. Enjoy the Lord all. So are there any comments before we close today? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for opening the scripture for us today. And uh, the blessings are on every page, every line. But if we don't go to the pages or read the lines with a spirit-taught heart, we cannot understand. So, Father, I pray that you deliver us from the bondage of uh, satanic religious systems that may even call themselves Christian, but they leave out the most crucial truths of all concerning our Lord Jesus, concerning what he has actually accomplished, and uh, concerning how he is working today in the world, and certainly how he's working in us, his children. Thank you, Father, that we're in the very center of your great work. What a blessing to know that. And though the world sees us or doesn't see us at all, we're kind of in the background hovering (laughs) and not really visible, and history has little account of us. But, Father, in your book of heavenly history, uh, your people are right in the very center. 
for it was your great work that called them forth and uh, gave them a hope that was enduring, that was even eternal. So, Father, thank you for that hope, and may the the uh, sorrows of the moment, uh, as we've just been considering earlier, which are so great for some of our dear ones, may those sorrows be uh, replaced soon with uh, uh, your your comfort, and may they be enabled, therefore, to share that comfort with others. Not with a diminished faith, but with a strengthened faith. So, Father, we just uh, love you and want so many more to know you as well as these days darken and the time for salvation draws short. And we pray, Father, in Christ's name and amen. Okay, well, enjoy the Lord, all. It's brighter out there than you think. Keep looking down, okay? Amen. <laughs>